This is the day that the Lord has made. All right then, let us center ourselves and further worship our Lord. call to worship. We are a blessed people. God's providential care undergirds us. God's grace uplifts us. Through Christ's saving act, we are renewed in God's image. We are made a part of a new creation, the unfolding of God's peaceable and just kingdom. Thanks be to God for all tender mercies and amazing wonders. Let us remain standing in body or spirit as we join in our hymn of celebration number 2008, Let All Things Now Living. Hear our prayers. We pray, Lord, for 
those that have lost their lives, those that have lost loved ones, and those that are still in search for their loved ones after all of the fires have been put out. O oh Lord, Lord, hear, hear our, our prayers. prayers. Almighty God, you raise up the poor to give them the best rooms in your house. You pull the broken from the dust of the world, brushing them off and clothing them with joy. You exalt those we have pushed aside and let them say grace at the feast in heaven. You are our God and we worship you with gratitude. When we are tempted to wander off after the rumors of sin, you guard our feet so that we can walk as faithful people. When we think we need to pay attention to all of the gossip around us, you give us a double portion of good news so we will not fear. You are the Christ and we will listen to you with gratitude. When no one else will listen to us, we can pour our soul to you. When no one else notices us, you see our misery and fill us with joy. When everyone else forgets who we are, you remember us and call us by name. You are our spirit of love, and we welcome you into our hearts with gratitude. God and community, holy and one, we raise our prayers to you, even as we speak the words of Jesus. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
Listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our first reading is from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands day after day at his service, offering again and again the same sacrifices that we that can never be that can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat he sat down at the right hand of God, and since then has been waiting until his enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. The second reading is from Colossians chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word to God's people. Thanks be to God.
Thank you, Claire. One of my favorite authors is Anne Lamont. She's a little quirky, maybe not for everyone, but she's um, delightful to, to my spirit. I get a, a real kick out of her and enjoy her irreverent observations, which so often are just really uh, right on. In one of her more recent books, she wrote about how there was really only two kinds of prayer. One was, help me, help me, help me. And the other prayer was, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's about right, isn't it? That's about right. What's implicit in that, besides the, the quick little thing you can hold on to, is that Anne Lamont affirms the fact that we can approach or have access to God. And that, indeed, God actually listens and responds. And the more direct and honest the appeal, uh, the better. In a recent book, she added a third prayer, and that was simply, wow. So there's three now, and I want you to know that I actually use all three of those in my prayer life on a daily basis. Help me, thank you, and wow. I'm wondering today, what is the emotional place that you come from when you approach God? Now, when I think about the, the youngsters, I think they're pretty much like fish in water. They're just swimming, and they're not all that cognizant of all that is around them. They're just accepting what is, and they're, they're off, and they're doing. They're, they just take it in the way it is. And we sometimes talk about... Uh, Prevenient grace as God's grace that is around us and impacting us even before we're paying attention to God. And I think that would be a good example. The kids come from a place of where things just are as they are. It does seem to change, though, when we grow up and we become teenagers or young adults. It, it strikes me that there's a little more urgency that is happening in those years for getting things figured out, getting things straight. And perhaps there's also a little bit of mixed in personal immortality that nothing's going to happen to me and I'm just going to blast along. And so lots of times teenagers and young adults' attitudes with God can, be, can kind of be demanding, kind of like, let's get going, God. Come on, we're going here, we're going there. Keep up with me. Show me your stuff. Let's get this together. Kind of a combination of, of, of demanding and seeking at, at the same time. Now, those of you who are adults, we've been around a little bit, haven't we? We've, we've gone through uh, some beautiful high points in our lives, and we've gone through some things that have been uh, pretty rough. Some surgery, some relationship challenges. Well, you can think of what it is in your own personal story and it seems to me that when we're honest we adults recognize that God isn't a go fetch it for me Santa Claus dispenser God. We recognize that we've got some understandings we, we think we've got some good understandings about who God is how God works yet we're also 
mature enough to know that we don't quite have it all figured out. We're aware of the, of the special richness of a relationship to God, and we're aware of the mystery that is a part of figuring out and being in relationship with God. When I think about our adult attitudes towards God and how we live into them, I recognize that there, there's a couple different ways by which this manifests itself. And, and I've seen in my 40 years of ministry that there's a certain group of folk, of adults, who approach God with um, some anxiety and uncertainty. Approach God with fear. They're kind of like the dog that's been uh, kicked, mistreated by the master. The master feeds the dog, the master pets the dog on occasion, and the master also lashes out and, and kicks the dog on occasion too. And the dog then gets kind of skittish, not really knowing what to expect from the master. Sometimes, you know, is it going to be, am I going to be okay or am I going to get hurt? Some folk are like that with God. They are anxious about God and how God acts towards us. And oftentimes these folk are rule makers, are, are, are people who feel that there's a bunch of rules that gotta be lived by and they seek out those rules, they want those rules because that creates in their mind kind of a a predictable environment. If I can only live up to these rules, if I only can do and say these exact things all the time, this fickle God will behave well to me. I will be blessed by this God. It strikes me that that is just really sad and that that should not be the way we approach God, though I recognize for different circumstances in people's lives, sometimes that is the way they approach God. Kind of an abused child. Our approach to God should not be out of fear. I think we should be awed by God. I think we should be humbled and awed by God but we shouldn't feel a terror towards God because God is capricious and who knows what's gonna happen to us today. I think Jesus shows us a different God. Jesus teaches us a little differently about God and shows us that we ought to approach God with, with gratitude, that we ought to be approaching God with love. And we love God because we are aware that God has loved us. God loves us because we are God's children, period. It's in God's nature to love us. And it's not because we deserve it. It's not because we've earned it somehow. We've come in with the A's or we behaved really well. God loves us because we are God's children. 
and receiving that unmerited gift of love, we then approach God in return with gratefulness, with thankfulness. We approach God with hearts overflowing with gratitude, a feeling of, of thankfulness pouring out from our souls for what God's love has done in our lives and in the world. The hallelujahs I was referring to last week that, that bubble up and out due to God's grace in our lives, those sounds are grateful sounds from a thankful soul. Our path to this place of spiritual joy and gratitude goes through the Gospels. It goes through the Gospels, and today, a couple little detours into some epistles. But it really comes from deep inside yourselves when you take stock of the impact of God in your life. And you're on your knees, and you just say, Thank you, Lord. In Hebrews, the author is trying to make sense how what God has done through Christ in not just the healings and the teachings, but in the death and the resurrection, how that's changed things now for us good Jews. It's changed things. Things are not the same. The, the old priests who tried to, to win over God's favor for us through acts of atonement, of sacrifice in the temple on the altar, they have been surpassed by God's work through Christ Jesus as the all-sufficient sacrifice the one all-sufficient sacrifice, effective for attaining all of our atonement to God, at one mint to God. We have been reconciled to God in a dramatic way through the cross and the empty tomb that 2,000 years later, we are being transformed as well as Peter and Paul and Barnabas and Lydia. So the author of Hebrews is saying, something special has happened here that's changed now. And in our theological world, he's writing about the atonement. And when we think about atonement, there's a number of different theories about atonement, but basically we humans are trying to say, well, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, how, how, how did this cross and empty tomb thing transform me? And so our best minds for 2,000 years have been writing and writing and writing and trying to think this through, and it generally boils down to a, a couple of different varieties, and, and one is that Jesus stepped in and took our place, substitutionary atonement. Jesus paid our debt. We were brought up 
in front of the judge, we were found lacking. We couldn't have the resources ourselves to make ourselves good, to pay the debt of sin to God. In walks Jesus. I'll take care of it. Jesus stands in for us. Jesus suffers in our stead, or Jesus pays our debt that we owe. There's different language that's used, but basically Jesus substitutes for us, making it possible for us to have right relationship with God, because now the debt is paid. Now the, the sheet ledger is even. A different type of understanding of the atonement comes from what's called the moral influence theory. And what that is, is that in the healing, teaching, suffering, and dying, for folk like us, Christ so shows God's love that we are inspired. We can't help ourselves. We are driven forward into that same kind of love towards one another and God. And that bringing back of that divine image of love within us and expression of it out into the world is what puts us back into right relationship with God. Well, these are two classical ways of understanding it. I don't know how you understand it. We all probably do some sorting through a little bit of that, a little bit of this, but what ends up happening is that we are here today because we have found somehow in the process of the cross and the empty tomb our future. We have found in the power of Christ Jesus in our lives a transformation, a rebirth, a saving from ourselves. We're here this morning because that is true, what I've just said about us. Or we're here this morning because somebody else has said it, and we, we kind of trust that person, and it seems to be true in that person's life. And so we're here yearning and hoping that it will happen to us. And it will if it hasn't. Colossians reminds us that when that experience occurs, what was before is made new into something else. And that's why you have the author of Colossians saying um, words about being Compassionate people, humble, kind, meek, patient. You're that way after you've been touched by the Spirit of God and transformed. You become not that grumpy, not that angry, no longer so self-centered, no longer so whatever it is. You become new, more compassionate, more patient, more kind. You become forbearing of one another. You recognize the forgiveness of God in your life. 
and you learn how to freely extend that to others. Because just as you were unmeriting of it, so are the others, and you freely share it. Because now you're driven forward in your life by love. God's love has been real to you, so now you make God's love real to others. And I think, I think that as we become people who are ruled by love, as we let love lead in our lives, thankfulness starts to overflow. And it seeks ways by which to be expressed. We recognize what God has done with us through Christ Jesus. We recognize that it's not what we deserve, but it was a free gift of God's love to us. And we are amazed. And we are so grateful of the power of that in our lives to save us from ourselves that we mature and grow into people who are graceful, grateful, thankful people. So I'm reading this book. It's, it's about um, the Lutherans and the Jesuits. If you're, if you're not hip to what's going on, it's the 500th anniversary of Luther's nailing uh, the theses on the door in Wittenberg. You all knew that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, the group of guys that get together on Friday to horse around with each other and eat eggs, um, we carry a book with us each week, too. Just, uh, you know, it's the reason we get together. So we're studying this book. And in this book, I think it's in this book, I, I'm going to attribute it to this book. There's a story. It's an old story about... Uh, a mom and a dad and a kid. And, and they're, they're not swimmers, but like a lot of people that are not swimmers, they, they like the water. And so they're, they're alongside the, uh, this lake, having a picnic, having fun. And, and mom and dad, I don't know, they're not paying attention or what. Uh, anyway, the kid's in the water, drowning now. Help, help! And Mom and dad, not being swimmers, are just jumping up and down besides themselves on the shore of the lake, yelling for help and screaming and I don't know. So somebody happens by, dives in, gets the kid before he goes down for the third time, brings him to the shore alive, presents him to the parent. And I'm guessing, I'm guessing it must be because the parent is just so embarrassed, so awkward about uh, not being able to save the child. I don't know where the motivation is, but the parent takes the child huh, and goes, well, where's his hat? <laughs> this is not a good example of gratefulness. It's just the wrong spirit, isn't it?
Don't let that spirit be your spirit about what Jesus has done in your life. Let your, your hallelujah over experiencing God's grace turn, grow into a genuine thank you, Lord. Look at what Christ has done for us. As, as we embrace that and receive the benefit of that, what can we possibly do in return? How can we possibly pay God back? Except by how we value that gift. By how we value that gift. And because we so highly value it, we offer words and actions of thanksgiving to God. We find ways to give expression in our being, our doing, our talking to that gratitude for that gift. So as Colossians says, and whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. Amen. As we think about everything that we do by word, deed, and gift, we respond to the grace that God has given to us in gratitude. But before we present our tithes and offerings to God, we would like to invite Phyllis Marbeck, Marbach to come forward to share a couple of examples why she gives to the church. Hi. Um, so when Walt asked me to talk to you about why I give to the church, I, first I thought, well, this is a subject that's kind of personal. I really only talk about it with my husband. Um, and it's really between a family and God. So I'll tell you a couple of stories about my family to explain why I give to the church. When my children were small, and they kind of grew up in this church, some of you know them, um, we would pray, I would pray with them every night separately. And uh, our prayers would start with, thank you God for the blessings you've given us this day. And then each child would name one or more things that happened that day that was a blessing. Sometimes there were big things and sometimes small, but it gave them time to feel God's grace from that day. And my prayers still start that way. Everything I have is from God's grace, so giving back to my church is a way for me to thank God for my blessings of love, health, meaningful volunteer work, singing with the choir, and, and the love I feel in this church. So that's one of my stories. The second story is from my childhood. I grew up in a United Methodist Church in a small town of about 12,000 people in Kentucky. And my parents were very active volunteers in that church. They gave up their time. Uh, when our clothes, we were, grew out of our clothes, we would give them to the mountain mission and they would be sent to the Appalachian Mountains charities. Because even though we didn't have a lot of money, there were people that had even less. 
So they gave their time and clothing, but they also supported our church financially. My father believed in giving to the church first and weekly wrote his check out. The Bible verse that comes to mind for me from my childhood is Mark 12, uh, verse 17. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And I'm pretty sure my dad used to quote that to me. <laughs> so, um, so all I am and all that I have is through God's grace. And so giving back to the church helps God continue to work for good in the church the community and the world in greater ways than I alone can do. So I hope as you as you think about, you know, your support to this church, you'll keep those gifts in mind. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We have the opportunity to respond in gratitude for all that God has given to us. Our ushers will wait upon us at this time. assisting us, for giving us the opportunities to say wow. 
we are overwhelmed by the depth of your love for us. And we want to say thank you again for the transformation you have offered in our lives. Accept these gifts as signs of our appreciation and use them to transform the places in the world that still need to know about your grace and love. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us remain standing as we join in our closing hymn, number 181, Ye Ye Servants of of God. Let's uh, connect with one another. Let's connect with one another and receive the benediction and the blessing from the choir. Lord God, we thank you for the blessings of this service. We have been touched by your spirit in many ways. We're grateful for that. And we leave with thankful hearts, seeking ways to give expression to our experience of your love in our lives, to help it happen in other people's lives as well. So we go in your love. Amen.